You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge. All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just delight in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight and won't steer you wrong, Johnny Appleseed himself, Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode. Uh, looking forward to bringing you this one. We've got... Um, a great guest this week. This guest this week is the person who originally got this podcast all started. Uh, yeah, uh, some of you, if you've heard this, you might have heard the uh, the story before. But uh, my good friend Devon Zimmerman and I, uh, I, I, he owns Little Mountain Outfitters, who I've talked about quite a bunch. We, uh, we, I used to shoot his indoor league with him. It was an indoor video league. And he, he got the brilliant idea the one day. He said, hey, he said, what do you think about starting a podcast? So what are you talking about? Because at the time, I didn't listen to podcasts. I really didn't do much interaction. I had zero social media. But uh, he was listening to podcasts and was listening to the Nine Finger Chronicles, Dan Johnson's podcast. And he had actually been a guest on that show at one point in time. And he had said, yeah, you know, they're trying to look for state-specific shows to audition for. He goes, I think we should do it. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're crazy. But, okay, I, I ran with it. So borrowed some equipment and started a podcast. And sure enough, Dan picked us, and here we are. Now, Devon's business has grown substantially, and, you know, life happens. We uh, get busy with the family and keep your priorities in check. And... Uh, he stepped away and I took over and it's just me running the show now and it's been great, but I wanted to have him back on this week because we're, we're getting close to archer season and Devon tinkers with stuff all the time. He is always trying to figure out if there's a better way, if there's a different way, not necessarily because he, he really likes changing things. I mean, I think it's more along the lines of he has a lot of clientele come in the door, which if you've never been to his bow shop in Richland, Pennsylvania, I strongly suggest checking it out. It's a fantastic shop. But he, uh, you know, people come through the door and have millions of questions because 
between YouTube, social media, everybody's got these different ideas and this content they're putting out, and it fills you know people's minds with things. And I think he wants to be on the top end of things with and, and it, you know know what's up to date in the archery world. So he's always tinkering and, and trying to have good answers for you, and that's why he's an awesome shop. And one one of those specific components, and that's kind of be the main focus of this week's conversation is arrow setups. You know, we've been bombarded. There's tons of information out there about heavy arrows, front of center, single bevel broadheads, machine broadheads versus mechanicals, blah, 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 you name it. And I'm personally right down the middle on this whole entire thing because I've shot deer with arrows that were under 400 grains total weight with a mechanical broadhead and blew right through them and last year you know I did something stupid and I I I bought an arrow that was too stiff in order to make it tuned for the bow that I had I had to add an insane amount of point weight on it and it ended up being like a 700 grain arrow or something stupid like that and I so I and I, I ended up shooting a doe with it so I've been on either end of the spectrum and I still find myself landing down the middle. You know, what I've come to the conclusion of is I really like fixed blade broadheads. And I started shooting VPA broadheads, Vantage Point Archery, this year for a couple reasons. Number one, great people. Number two, I just really like the quality of those machined heads. And they fly fantastic. So I have a perfectly tuned arrow shooting a broadhead that is durable and is sharp. And if I can place that where I want, that's what's most important. Um, We're going to talk about that this week. We're going to talk about how his arrow setup has molded over the past few years. He shot a bunch of deer last year with a new setup that he's going to discuss this year, which, you know, you know, give you a little insight of what it's going to be it is a heavier arrow higher foc different uh broadhead i think he was shooting a vpa broadhead and uh we're just going to break that down talk about experiences but he's very realistic i mean devon is not somebody who is is heavy on the bandwagon oh this is it's this way or the highway he understands that there's more than one way to skin a cat. This is just what he has found to work for him, and he's he's learned that uh, it it's an avenue that many people want to learn about. And there's a there's a different way of approaching it, different way of tuning. You got to get the picture, and he wanted to be toward the front end. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his hunting season last year, and I think it's a perfect way to segue into archery season because as you guys are listening to this this coming weekend is our opening weekend for extended uh that would be 2b 5c 5d so you guys are going to be flinging arrows you're going to be a little bit ahead of me i don't think i'm going to get out before then i was just hanging a tree stand this past weekend that was exciting just because it felt good it was in a a great location. I adjusted it a little bit. I hung a mock scrape and a camera. And uh, one of the things that kind of bummed me out, I went in the pouring down range because I wanted to, you know, it sounds great. I wanted to be uh, saying that I was planning this for a, a rainy day to get in there and wash my scent away and cover my noise and all this stuff. I went in then because that's when I had time and it just worked out that it was raining. 
but I hung the stand and I was hoping that I could be as quiet as possible. It's so hard by yourself to hang, you know, a a metal hang on tree stand and ladder quietly. I mean, I tried my best, but I still made some noise. I ended up chasing some deer. I ended up seeing five deer when I was there. They were just bedded, you know, over on the fringe, which is what I expected. I'm kind of in transition between a bedding area and a, and a feeding area. And I was kind of on the edge of that and I was hoping I could get away with it, but I didn't. I chased some deer. So hopefully that doesn't kill me too bad, but it still got me excited. Uh, it's another another step closer to the season preparation. So, hey, let's get to this week's episode with Devon talking about arrows and just getting you pumped up for the season. Real quick before we do, I want to give our shout out to our partners, and that is going to be Radix Hunting. Uh, the Radix Hunting has the great tree stands that I have been talking about, the hang-ons, the ladder stands. I personally used a hang-on tree stand with their ladder sticks. Um, And one thing I had never run before in any other company sticks, all the the tree stand ladder sticks that I had run in the past were ones that you piece together like a ladder. You know, it's got the middle section that you, you know, four or five sections you piece together and then run it up the tree and strap it around. And those are okay, but I feel like they make more noise and they're harder to secure. The ones that we have from Radix, they're individual sections with a top and a bottom strap. And man, you can set that top one and seat this, uh, this, the stick and then put your bottom strap on it and they do not move and they're ultra quiet. I, and I've always been, and this is a, you know, probably gonna put a bad taste in some people's mouth. I always liked screw-in steps just because they're quiet. I know they do damage to some trees and you have to be on private land only to do them. But I like them because they're quiet for getting in and getting out. And I tell you what, these sticks from Radix rival that. I've also been running my M cores. I've been getting multiple pictures a day from the, the three that I have out right now. Hopefully, I'm going to see one of those target buck on them soon. But I cannot stress enough how easy they were to set up, how great and consistent the, the image quality is, the response time at this, like I said, I, I'm going back to the setup because it's all from your phone. It's all from the Scout Tech app. It, it was a breeze to make adjust any settings, and uh, I'm really happy with that camera. It's just a bulletproof camera that I, you can't go wrong. So check out Radix Hunting. With that, guys, let's get to this week's episode. Year old this year, I think I'd, I'd probably sent you pictures of him before, like other years pretty nice i mean it'd be cool to see him in another year yet but i'd probably shoot him it's a nice buck he looks like he's got some mass that's going to carry out i mean i know it's deceiving and in velvet but he's a nice deer yeah yeah he was always really thick even like as a two-year-old he had thick beams Mm. but he made a big jump this year last year he was probably i don't know maybe a 14 inch he was decently thick, but not quite like that. But the same exact shape of rack, everything. It's pretty cool to, yeah, see him from one year to the next. Just a little bigger every year. Yeah, it's exactly one, the same. It's it's uh, winding down, approaching closer. And as we, as you and I were talking about this, I was talking about stuff I'm doing to get ready. But it's 
gosh, I feel so far behind, but sitting here, I'm, I'm sitting in uh, Mr. Devon Zimmerman's office, the uh, the owner and operator of Little Mountain Outfitters. So thanks for letting me crash your party today. Yeah, well, not much of a party yet, but it will be before long. <laughs> <laughs> You've been pretty busy lately? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is kind of our busy time. About, uh, it's, for the last month, it's been slowly starting to ramp up. Then last week, it kind of just really, really... Do you Definitely. see a, a, a switch flip at a certain time every year? Is it, does it vary? Yeah, so usually we, we said, like, we could definitely tell a difference in uptick, like, when the license came out in June. But that was usually, what, second week of June? Well, this year that didn't uh, the license didn't go on sale to like, the last week of June. So I think that pushed it back a little bit. And, yeah, that week we had – we definitely saw an uptick – Weather plays a part in it, too. Like, that one week that it was so hot in July, it was dead. Mm. The next week when we had that cold front come through and it had a couple, like, 50s nights, dude, it was hopping in here. It's so, crazy So there's something with people, too. It's yeah. not just the deer. It's people people so. move on a cold front, too. Well, I mean, you think about it, and it's like, well, it feels good. Well, deer season's coming, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, now it'll it'll just be when they get busier from now till probably mid-October is kind of our busiest it's funny when you say that about it feeling like deer season because when I was in Canada on our vacation, it was like the, the one day the high was 70 degrees. Wow. Got down into the 50s and it was like no humidity. It was gorgeous. I'm like, man, this feels like bow season. Yeah. Yep. I was getting excited. So we're getting pretty busy this time of year. So tell me a little bit about like it, it's got to be interesting this time of year when you're talking about running a bow shop because you get a lot of people like me who wait to the last minute and you probably got a lot of stuff that should have been done a few months ago like is does that trend ever get better over time or is it that's just the way it is and that's the way your your job's going to be sometimes yeah i mean it's just kind of the nature of the beast (laughs) basically um but i mean this isn't last minute yet last minute will be the night before the season and you get plenty of those (laughs) oh yeah um no, it, it's definitely like I, in a perfect world, you have guys that do, you know, all their tuning and strings and all that sort of stuff in the winter or spring. Um, that way they shoot more, more during the summer. Um, but yeah, I can tell like there's a lot of guys that probably haven't even gotten their bows out yet. But, and as that happens, I mean, that's part of the reason we get busier in, in August because that's when guys start pulling their stuff out. <clears throat> yeah. Do you, so like on that topics, like strings and stuff like that, like, you know, you replaced strings for me this spring. And uh, years ago, I know they used to always say put a couple hundred shots through strings, but strings are a lot better than that now. Like, is, yeah. that, is that is there truth to that when it comes to going into broadhead tuning, or is that not as important anymore? Yeah, I mean, there's so many variables when it comes to strings and how often you should change. I think a good rule of thumb is every two to three years for the average guy, somebody that shoots a lot, definitely more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know guys that shoot, you know, a lot. Um, we'll do strings every year. Some guys even more than that. So what do you um, think is a lot when it comes? Are we talking like ten thousand shots a year? Or? I'm not sure the amount, but you know, guys that are shooting winter league in the winter, maybe they're shooting paper league in the spring. You know, they're shooting from um, the time it warms up all the way into deer season. They're shooting through deer season. You know, there's a lot of guys that just like to shoot their bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have on the flip side of that you have the guys that oh you know now it's August so we'll start shooting. And in reality, they might shoot a hundred. 200 times throughout the season they might shoot 10 times the bow goes back in the case um so obviously you don't have near as much wear on a setup like that but 
um, what they what what some guys can fail to realize is you still have your string stretch just like um, you know just from that bow sitting in the case there's still pressure on them strings so after time you're going to have stretch on uh, string and cables right um, and that's something that you can't really get away from no matter how much you shoot mm -hmm. so what yeah. else is pretty pretty big right now i mean obviously it's it's getting stuff set up but i mean when when you're talking about your shop i mean you're not just a bow shop you got some other stuff i mean yep. you, you, you're you're bread and butter you're a bow shop but you got other stuff going on here and what's what's that been like here lately yeah so um i mean we're kind of right in the middle of fall food plot season so a lot of seeds been leaving here um so that's always fun that's kind of something that i really enjoy talking to people about that and people bouncing questions off of you and that sort of thing that's fun um also a lot of the last two years we've gotten the tree saddles um and that always seems like well last year kind of august was when we sold the most of those and that's yeah um definitely been happening guys and you've been hunting their... from one of those for a while right? correct yep yep um and we carry a couple different lines of saddle stuff and climbing sticks and basically your mobile hunting stuff mm -hmm. that you can't really buy other places other than online we try to carry a pretty good selection of that so that's pretty cool too um we both enjoy selling that kind of stuff because we use it and it's kind of our our thing kind of our, our little niche maybe um but yeah we have people coming in from all over the place just to because you can uh, a lot of the stuff you can buy online but that's about the only place so if you can go somewhere to demo it i mean that's worth something to, to most people there's weight and gold in that because when i was skeptical about saddles like i tried stuff here and i, I there was a couple other places i might have tried stuff on but like with your selection and stuff i got the feel because my introduction to saddle hunting was you know my, my one buddy that yep. that you and i know and he uh he gave me one of those old trophy line neoprene ones yep. which once you're finally in it it's not that bad it's mm -hmm. not that but the problem is it's so bulky to carry around and if it's warm man it's like wearing a diaper i right. mean it, the thing's ridiculous yeah. so like that so when it comes to investing into another saddle i wanted to put my hands on it and i'm sure you know a lot of people are like that yep but uh one of the main things i wanted to to talk about with you today we're, we're we're still i wouldn't say we're up or down with within the the hype of or or, or the information out there about arrow setups i mean that, mm -hmm. that's been going on now for a long time and guys talking about manipulating heavy arrows and shooting different types of broadheads getting away from mechanicals or should you still shoot them and uh, i wanted to kind of just take your perspective on it because uh, we've talked about that a lot and you're have what you shoot now but you're fairly neutral over the things and i just kind of want to pick your brain talk about what you've been tinkering with and what you know how your opinions have changed over time but i think that kind of starts back i'd like to recap your season last year because you shot a bunch of deer with a new arrow setup and i wanted to pick your brain on that sure so you uh la last year um what uh last year was the first year that you kind of made a big switch in your arrow setup um, yeah. So the last couple of years I've shot a pretty heavy arrow, you know, compared to most people around that 580 to 630 in that range. Uh, but last and before year, that you, you didn't, right? No, the I think it's probably the last four years I did. Okay. But what you're, you're getting at the last year was the first time I went, you know, moved a lot of that weight up front. Okay. Um, so before I would just shoot a heavy arrow, um, 
and just total weight, not necessarily FOC. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 125, um, you know, expandable of some sort. I've shot quite a few broadheads over the years. I kind of like playing around with different stuff. And and uh, last year I decided to, you know, because we all know the rage right now is heavy FOC and single bevel stuff. So last year, yes, that is what I, I, I ran last year, jumped into the single bevel. And what was your motive behind I'm going to say, quote-unquote, jumping on the bandwagon, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, kind of just to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, tinker. Um, yeah, so I've had a lot of guys ask about it. You know, obviously, anybody that's on the Internet knows it's kind of the hot topic right now. And so, like, for us here as a shop, you have people coming in and asking about it all the time. You have, you can kind of do two things. You can learn it yourself and 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 because uh, it is a bit more of a process than just screwing a broadhead on mm-hmm. and going hunting. Um, or you can just tell them that now that's just, that's just a stupid idea. Mm -hmm. Go, you know, just do what you've been doing. Well, that, um, that can work, but if somebody wants to go that route, I, I, me as me, myself, I, I'd like to at least know a little bit how it works and, you know, be able to be able to point them a certain direction a little. So yeah, I did that. I think last year my arrow set up weighed 620, which, um, is plenty heavy to be yeah. honest uh i mean i'll be the first one to say it it's overkill for whitetail it definitely is mm-hmm. and even for like if you're going for elk yeah it's it's a great setup you'll get great penetration but if you want to shoot any kind of distance um it is it is tough you have so much arc in your arrow um which and, distance judging is huge i mean unless you're going to exactly. be shooting a 3d target that you can range it and yep. dial because if it's you're huge. off five yards out there at 80 yards you're missing you're missing the target. I was much. amazed how much of a gap I had <clears throat> at five yards, at five, three to five yards and twenty. Like I shot one last year with my heavy arrow, and I think I was three yards off in my judgment because I had ranged it earlier, and I was like, "Yeah, it's twenty. And then after I shot it, the doe, it was twenty-three, yep. and I hit significantly low with my twenty-yard pin with my old setup. What I was used to it wouldn't have been close, but anyway, right. yeah. So I guess one of the reasons for me that it's not that big of a deal, um, I am a 30 yard and in guy when it comes to shooting deer like i i don't even remember the last deer i would have shot over 30 yards but it's been a long time not saying i couldn't have i just i don't know i try to set up for that 20 yard shot and i did i was able to shoot like you said a bunch of deer last year we were about out of meat and had a bunch of doe tags and some dmap tags and uh was able to fill some of those and so yeah all the deer i shot last year were probably 18 and in 20 and in for mm-hmm. sure so i mean you can shoot 800 grains at 20 at, at 20 yards i mean it's but what's when you get out there that it's really you really notice the downsides to a heavy heavy arrow setup so you shot what four or five deer with with that arrow last year arrow yeah setup? i think it was six and what yeah. broadhead were you using um so i used the vpa 200 grain single bevel okay. um i was shooting the eastern um, axis four millimeter with a hundred grains up front, two fifty spine, hundred grains up, uh, insert up front or outsert, and then a, a 200 grain broadhead. So basically 300 grains up front. Now was the arrow set up minus the broadhead. Okay. Now you did say that the arrow setup was a little bit different because you focused a little bit more on FOC. So right. like, um, I'll, I want to circle back to like why you landed on what you did, but I was, I'm, I, I'm kind of jumping the gun. I was kind of after one season, like, what were your impressions of doing that versus what you've done for the past, you know, 20 years? Yeah. Um, so, 
I, I liked it. It worked great. Um, I'm doing it again this year. Okay. Um, if that tells you anything. However, like I can certainly see there would be downsides to it. So, <clears throat> like I said, I shot I believe six deer uh, with my bow last year, all with a single bevel, and one pro that I re- that I noticed is you zip through a deer. Half of those deer took three, four stop uh, or jumps stopped and stood there and fell over they didn't know what hit them to me that was pretty cool yeah you shoot a deer with a big expandable like i've always been an expandable guy they have their place for sure shoot a deer with a big expandable you hear that smack they take off on a death run um no doubt they bleed a lot you got a big hole they're dead it's just they're running twice as far a lot of times which there again not a big deal um but yeah that's that's one thing i noticed um one one downside I would definitely say for sure, um, if you did make a bad shot, as in uh, hit a deer back too far mm-hmm. through the guts or whatever, that little one and a quarter inch cut or one and an eighth inch cut is definitely going to do you no favors as opposed to a two inch, you know, expandable. Right. Um, but there again, you got to, there's pros and cons to each, so... All right, folks, it's that time of year for fall food plot planning, and this year I'm proud to be working with Vitalize Seed. I work with them because they're great people and they're extremely passionate about wildlife and soil health. My fall food plots will be planted in Vitalize's Carbon Load, a 16-way diverse mix that is highly attractive to whitetails and has countless benefits to soil and soil health. If you've ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of different seed blends on the market, check out Vitalize's 1-2 planning system. It's designed how nature intended, to make biology work for you. Now each plant species in the blend has the proper ratio of seed to grow synergistically, not allowing any to outcompete another. This provides season-long forage for wildlife as well as benefiting the soil biome. There's no need for complex crop rotations with monocultures that are susceptible to drought and overbrowsing. Whether you plant with fancy no-till equipment or bag spreader and a lawnmower, Vitalize can work in any food plot. For more information about Vitalize and soil health practices, visit VitalizeSeed.com and be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Radix Hunting was founded on premium grade trail cameras and continues striving to produce the best cellular and conventional trail cameras on the market today. The Gen 600 is a second generation camera from the Gen series line. With premium video and audio recording capabilities, this product has become well respected as the HD video trail camera. In addition to the Gen series cameras, their M-Core cellular camera has all the features of a quality cell camera at an affordable price. Along with their cameras, they offer stick and pick trail camera accessories to allow you to set your cameras just right. You can find it all at RadixHunting.com and be sure to follow Radix Hunting on Instagram and Facebook. Want to check out Radix cameras in person? Stop in at Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland, Pennsylvania and have a peek. Now, back to the show. One thing I wanted to pick your brain on too, so I, it's really hard to be, I guess, humble and knowing what you're capable of in the field when there's a deer in front of you and you've got excitement going on and you're going to, and you're going to shoot a deer with a bow. And what I'm referring to is mostly shot angle. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've been a little bit concerned about with in like all the media and stuff like that you talk about is shot angles and people taking shot angles that are lower percentage. Uh, so a lot more quartering towards shots and facing shots. 
And those are lethal shots when the arrow's placed correctly. I mean, we've talked about that a lot, but I'm, I get concerned that those lower percentage shots are perceived to be higher percentage with an arrow set up like this, and I don't know if that's true or not. My, my gut tells me that arrows aren't going to consistently go through bone, but there's people out there saying that they can with the right setup, and I don't have an opinion formed. And, uh, you know, with you working in the shop and having so many people come in and experiences and experiencing yourself, I wondered what your thought was. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there again, there's so many factors that play into that. One thing, you see a lot of the guys that are, are, are pro quartering to and even frontal shots now, um, they're hunting on the ground. That mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. If you're on the ground or if you're 20 foot up in a tree trying to shoot a deer, uh, quartering toward you, you know, that angle is a whole lot different. Um, and I think probably where uh, the majority of people would run into problems with that is they're not, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't hold at the right place. Right. That's because you really gotta, you really gotta think about it where your arrow is going to end up at, at that angle. Whereas, you know, a deer's perfectly broadside, follow that leg right up two inches back whack, you know, um, so that's, I think, where people would get in trouble. Another thing, um, to your point there, like it is a little concerning because from what I see, the average bow hunter does shoot a very light setup. Right. Um, and the, a setup that will absolutely kill deer broadside, not a problem at all, even pass-throughs most of the time, you know, with a 400-grain setup. But if you start throwing in some quartering toward shots and that sort of thing, um, that's where guys are going to run in trouble for sure. Um, cause I mean, 400 grain setup, you're with, you know, with a big expandable in the front, you're not going to get through that front shoulder if you hit it. And, um, yeah. Well, one thing to, to note with that in addition, like the, a lot of people don't, it's amazing to me how many people don't truly know the anatomy of a whitetail or the game they're hunting in the mm-hmm. first place. And what I mean by that is like, I've seen a lot of videos where people will shoot a deer um it it can be quartering towards them and they shoot a deer and uh it blows through them like you know basically a knife through butter kind of deal and they'll you know because it was more forward they'll go oh it blew right through that shoulder and you know if you think about you know how the joints work on a deer like when you get to that i just call it the elbow socket that's gonna you know if if the deer is let's just you know for for trying to put a visualization on this if a deer's facing to the right you're going to get that humerus bone is going to take a hard almost like a 45 angle degree up to the scapula joint so there's like a v there and if you put your arrow in that v it's soft as all get out you're just hitting through ribs there but if you on a quartering towards shot let's say that deer is is its head is facing the right and you hit too far to the right and you hit that knuckle there that's like I think somebody told me that's like the second or third hardest bone in their whole body, mm-hmm. like next to their pelvis. Yep. Um, and that's what I have concern about hitting. Now, you know, th- this is me playing devil's advocate. One one thing I will say is that's a really small thing to hit. Now right. I know we can hit it, yeah. it, But but it would be the chances. Um, but there there is definitely room to make that shot. But I'm always concerned that with a big expandable head or a 400 grain setup, that it's just gonna deviate. Because the thing I've learned is you lose so much energy when you connect with a bone, and if it's especially if the broadhead's flimsy and it's gonna bend or something. Yeah. Like you did a bunch of broadhead testing here in the shop too, didn't you? Yeah, we did some. Yeah. 
Tell me a little bit about that because ago. then you shoot. What, what, what was all? What was all the stuff you shot? Yeah, so I got a bunch of beef shoulder blades from a butcher shop, okay. and we shot through them. Now, now, I mean, I realized for one, that's a beef shoulder blade. Two, there was no hide or meat involved. You're just shooting at a shoulder blade at that point. Um, but yeah, definitely, like even a beef shoulder blade as thick as it is, um, we did have some expandables make it through. And we did have some totally fly apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think th- there's a lot of variables in that. Depends where, like people say, oh, you know, I shot through the shoulder. Well, the shoulder's a relative term. I mean, there is, there is like you said, places on the shoulder, even the shoulder blade that you can shoot through. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're talking about that big, thick bone right in the middle of that, down into the socket, down into the leg, you know, that's inch, inch and a half, whatever it is depending on the size of the deer, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe even two inches of bone, um, you know, you hit that, that's going to take a pretty serious setup to, to get through that. And I don't know that you should intentionally, you know, try to shoot for, for the shoulder. Right, There's but it's, if you're going to, if the deer's going to move and you're going to hit Correct, it. yep. And, yep. and what I've seen too a lot of cases is people say about it blows through the shoulder, but if you kind of dissect down and you look, uh, a lot of the time, if you have enough momentum, you're just deflecting off that bone. You're not hitting it square. Right. Like the doe I shot last year um, with that heavy setup single bevel head, it it hit her humerus, but it hit the top part of it. And it there was when I when I butchered her, there was a chip in her shoulder. It didn't completely break it, mm-hmm. but it was like there was enough momentum. It did hit it, but it just kind of. You know, I guess I'm, what I have in my mind, I don't know if this is accurate, but a single bevel is going to hit that. It's going to have that turning rotation, and it probably just turned and went right over top of that bone, and I shot her right through the heart, and it passed through, and she was dead. But, yep. like, the deer that you shot last year, did you connect on bone with any of those? Yeah, I did, and that's the next point I was going to bring up. I did actually, um, I believe it was the first doe I shot, um, yeah, I believe so. I'd actually, I got her right, right on the bottom side of the uh, shoulder blade, mm-hmm. like at the socket, and it went out at the socket on the other side as well, and it sheared both clean off. Wow. Um. So I, part that was the part that was pretty impressive to me. Like, there's definitely something to that. Um, with a single bevel with that much weight, um, it, it you can get through there again. That was a hundred pound doe, not a. 200 pound buck or anything um but definitely like if you you would have hit at that exact same spot with a setup that i maybe shot 10 years ago you know a light setup big expandable that probably like i said a large majority of of bow hunters in this area that are only hunting whitetail shoot um you definitely wouldn't have got through that Mm -hmm. that would have been what what you would hear as well that was a shoulder shot two inches of penetration arrow basically fell out when they were running away yeah, I've seen that happen. I had that happen to me. I shot a deer with a Grim Reaper one time, which I used that broadhead a couple of years and shot a couple of deer with it. But I had one that, yeah, it hit the shoulder blade of this of a small doe, 100-pound doe, and it didn't even go in past the insert. You know, the arrow pulled the insert out, and there was no blood or anything on it, and uh, the broadhead was just sticking in the deer's shoulder. So there's definitely, when you talk about energy and stuff, which I'm not a physicist by any means, but it, it makes sense that there's going to be energy loss with those moving parts to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Plus, a lot of the broadheads that you I that I've shot over the years, like they come into any contact with a bone, they move, they bend, and and everything else. And I didn't see that with the the heads that we used this year. Right. Yeah. For sure. 
Yeah, anytime you're deal, I mean, you're looking at a solid piece of metal versus, you know, some aluminum with some metal blades, basically. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's not to bash any other broadhead companies. They're still good broadheads. I mean, I've shot, uh, I shot a fixed blade. Um, I think I was shooting an interlock broadhead, which it was uh, that carbon tuner where you could adjust the, I started shooting it because, first of all, the first time I shot it, I couldn't believe how accurate they flew, but you had the ability to move your, uh, your blades in line with the three fletch, you, you yep. tune it from the broadheads perspective. And I really, you know, that really attracted me at that time because I was shooting a three fletch and I noticed a, an accuracy gain there. And now I've switched to four fletch and learned more about bow tuning and everything else and arrow setups. And I don't feel like I need that. And I, uh, I switched, I think this year I'm going to switch to uh, VPA single bevels, 125 grains, just because I figured out how to get them to fly. My biggest thing was sharpening the boogers. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and there's more to to the single bevel thing than, like I said before, just screwing them on and going. There's definitely a lot more tuning involved. Then you got um, your right, your left wing, and then you got your sh- whole sharpening aspect of it. I mean, you pull them out of the box, they're really not – yeah, they're sharp, but if you want the – the ultimate cutting and bleeding you you definitely want to shine them up mm-hmm. and you know that's not like you do that in one minute either you know you can spend a lot of time getting them things sharp if you really want to do it right but yeah back to what you were saying there like i still feel for probably the average bow hunter again i keep saying average bow hunter but the majority of guys you know there's a lot of guys that don't want to mess with the whole tuning, the sharpening, the the figuring out what's going to work. You know, there still is definitely a place for, you know, a, a mid-weight a, uh, arrow setup and an expandable broadhead, 100%. Um, and I feel like that's probably where most guys are going to live in that, in that, that um, you know, 400 to 500 grain arrow and a good expandable. Um, and I'm not trying to talk people into going the heavy single bevel route. You know, that's something if you decide to do, we'll be great to, we'll, we'll, you know, be happy to set you up with that. But there again, it's not for everybody probably. And the whole point of me wanting to talk about this with you was not to say that this is way better or anything else because I'm the same way too. I mean, I've shot, I mean, what the heck, I shot an elk in 2019 with a 400 and... 40 grain arrow it had a, a small you know fixed blade three blade broadhead on it and uh i mean it zipped through it and the arrow was plumb into the ground so they're lethal setups i think what it comes down to is just f- exactly what you said figuring out what your style is really understanding like what are you committed to doing with your setup like are you committed to um tuning properly for the setup i mean if, if you're going to be somebody that goes yeah that's close enough um then it probably comes down to making sure you're going to have the best flying arrow with good enough and i think it also comes down to just education like helping to understand if this is the arrow setup that you're going to choose this is what you're capable of that's right. that's probably the hardest part of it all yeah yep yeah just because you know you're shooting 800 grains doesn't mean you can shoot through trees at a deer facing you, you know. (laughs) Um, But one other point I was going to make to that and a benefit that I saw this past year that I have run into with shooting expandables is uh, it seems like every year I do more and more mobile run and gun stuff all over the place, whether it's public or even private. I just, I like bouncing around in my saddle setup and, um, 
hunting new spots and whatnot. Well, you're going in an area somewhere and you get up there in your tree and it's like, man, I got just a little bit in front of me and where I, where I'm expecting to shoot the deer. I have run into deflection issues before multiple times with, um, expandables, you know, you got them blades that catch on stuff and, and open Mm -hmm. up and whatnot. Um, this year I had that happen twice and I actually ended up shooting through some very small vegetation, but a little bit enough that probably would have been an issue with an expandable, um, with that, um, heavy um, single bevel and, and you can still run into that with that situation of depending on what you're shooting but i mean i've seen i mean the stinking blade of grass or something will deflect a light arrow and right. i mean if you if it's like a you know shrubbery or a treetop or something you just clip that top vegetation with a heavy arrow uh it's still going to be better than expandable but you can still get deflections oh, yeah. but you're you're yep. uh I, I would definitely agree with that there um, I'm kind of curious going back to the, the tuning side of things too. So tuning is a moving target. Everybody has their own, I guess, style or way that they think it needs to be done. Has this arrow setup changed anything for you and how you tune bows or approach tuning bows? Or is it, has the process been the same, you know, throughout this whole journey? Um, it's pretty much been the same. So basically what we do is i mean we pick the arrow we want to go with and make sure you got spine and all that figured out and how much weight you're putting up front shoot it through paper get it shooting a bullet hole and then um i'll usually shoot a bear shaft as well if you're shooting a bullet hole with a bear shaft i can almost guarantee you um you're you're good to go Mm -hmm. at that point at least i mean i know there's a lot of other ways to tune and whatnot but that has worked really well for me um if you can get a bear shaft to fly and hit and and shoot good through paper, usually you're set. But I mean that sounds really simple, but a lot that's a lot of micro adjusting a lot of times. And when you talk about that micro adjustment, is that a lot of the time coming down to you working on the bow press and adjusting yokes and, and strings and stuff, or do you do that some of that on the arrow as well? Um, it depends, some of both. But yeah, a lot of times that'll come down to, you know, just a little more fine tuning on the bow highlight for like help people understand this that don't work on bows like how much of a pain can that be um well the other day we had a bow in here that we worked on for three hours really yeah Mm. yep and that wasn't trying to bear shaft that was simply trying to get it paper tuned um it was just yeah you have a whole and it seems like the more i work on bows and tune bows the longer your list of things to check off gets of things you know if, if you can't figure it out you do the bows in time cam's not leaning everything centered up you're still tearing high low whatever make sure you're you know it's not a spine issue and then you kind of start tweaking you know, like i said go down down through your list of things to check um, sometimes that can be shooter related too I it guess. can be yep but yep. It, it it's a host of things and i'm sure you can run into a million things in that i struggle with it. The, the thing i learned the most like i used to never uh bear shaft tune like my logic was if I don't shoot bear shafts while I'm hunting, why would I shoot them for tuning mm-hmm. purposes? But I think that logic of mine early on was pretty skewed because I tried that last year with you, and I could not believe how much better my broadheads flew um, out of that one setup. And that's a lot, you know, made me want to kind of change the way I did that. Before I used to just, if I got a bolt hole with my fletchings, and put a broadhead on, and they were shooting and they were grouping, that was that was good. But 
like I always notice because I like to tinker and shoot long. You know, yep. I like to shoot long and practice and stuff. And you know, trying to get broadheads to group at 70, 80, 90 yards. Um, I know it comes down to a lot. Like if the shooter's on, but there's always that one. I'd always number my arrows, and then like you, you'd be shooting. And I try not to pay attention which one I knock, but if I shoot and I'm shooting at whatever distance, and there's always that one arrow that you know, is off for some reason. Um, and then you go up and it's that same number every time. Then I always go, okay, well, is there something wrong with this arrow or was there anything I can do to better tune that would allow me to just be a little bit better with broadheads? Because to me, the better my broadheads fly, the more confident I am when I'm hunting. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to that whole thing of tuning, so that is another thing that, you know, for the average guy again – you screw a mechanical on that whole tuning thing, you know, especially the bear shaft thing probably isn't as important because mm-hmm. for the most part, your, your mechanicals are going to fly like your field tip. But I will say this, um, I, I feel like it's pretty foolish not to shoot your broadheads before, whether it's mechanical Absolutely. fixed, whatever. There is a lot of guys that buy a pack of broadheads night before, screw them on and, and they're hunting. And, yeah, sometimes you can get away with that. With mechanicals, probably more times than you could that with a with a fixed blade for right. sure. But um, yeah, tuning is important. I think a lot of people underestimate um, tuning, and 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 even like what we hear a lot of times too is oh you know my broadheads aren't flying right. They're flying you know six inches left or whatever. Uh, but I got you know used paper tune my bow last year. Well. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. I mean, that's something if you're not doing a set of strings every year, you should be tuning every year Um, because, I mean, you have stuff change all the time. Yeah, string stretch Um, and nick in the string. Yeah. You know, any kind of minimal change does does a lot. Yep, for sure. Um, But, yeah, back to your your bear shaft tuning. That that is almost something that if if somebody wants to commit to that, um, to learn a little bit about it and work on that yourself. So, I mean – I'm not saying we won't bear shaft for other people here. We do some, uh, but it's so time consuming. Yeah. And um, for somebody that wants to go down this whole route, you kind of got to commit to the process and and uh, just understand that that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. It does so weird question. Let me. Do you think tuning down this rabbit hole, like if you want to go machined broadhead? fixed blade you know something that's going to steer arrows in the front is this tuning process harder than setups you've done for in the past like for yourself and so to speak um well i think just the fact that you're you're micro tuning a little more okay um you know and like i said there's a huge list of stuff to check off you know this didn't work that didn't work we just you're going down through the list and and trying to figure out what's going to make that bow or that arrow come out of that bow totally perfect. Mm. Yep. But what's what I th- what I think is interesting. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Is like you you sh- you shot that arrow for the first year last year because you were t- you you wanted to tinker and test and you know have the best information you can. But I think you saying that you didn't really deviate from that for this year. That I think that says a lot to me. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of the guy that yeah I have tried different things in the past, but. This year, I didn't have as much time, I felt like, to mm-hmm. try to figure out another setup. And I thought, well, it worked worked good for me last year. And like I said before, I am a pretty short-range guy when it comes to shooting. 
Um, and so, yeah, just decided to, now I did change my arrow. My arrow's not the same, but the weight's going to be about the same. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Maybe, you know, I'll have a situation come up this year. I'll be like, yeah, well, that's it for me. I'm done. I'm going back to what I always All right. ran with, but that's the plans at this point. What's been your experience sharpening? Um, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. I'm going to say that to him when he comes in. I'm be like, yeah. hey, Terry, I got some broadheads for you. <laughs> no. Um, it hasn't been super difficult. It's just time consuming. There again, you have a couple steps to run through. Um, we have we do have a sharpener and different stones for it and stuff, and then shine them up on a leather or something like that. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I really struggled because I had uh, I got those the the premium tool steel. Yep, and that stuff is hard. Yeah, and I I had a jig and worked at it and worked at it and worked at it, and I got to a point where I'm like. I don't have the time, and I can't get – that was, like, right away my thing that was, like, well, I'm going back to my regular broadheads. But I called an audible, and I found a, a machine shop that, you know, sharpens a lot oh, okay. of stuff. And I asked him, yep. I was like, do you think you could sharpen these? He's like, well, bring them over. I'll look at them. He's looking, and I was like, he's like yeah, I, that would be easy to sharpen. And it was cheap. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, have at it. So once he – and it, it seems like since he sharpened it, because when they came out of the package – like, they don't have that burr on them. And it seemed like once he got them down to where you got a burr and then he, you know, honed it in, I could kind of keep up with it then. Like, yep. I could put them in the jig then and it wouldn't take much. But it seemed like that initial getting that burr on, I was just like, I felt like the one I was there for a half hour and I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Like, right. this is crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it can be time consuming <clears throat> as well. Did you see the uh, the new one that VPA came out with the uh, the single bevel that you don't need to jig for? Yeah, I did see that. So I was I thought that was pretty cool. Like that made it more interesting for me just because, like, the jig and if you don't have that set right, yep, I struggled with that too. Like getting it set perfectly. I mean, I think the marker on a on a blade really helps to kind of show you where you're you're rubbing. But the uh, the that that new cut that they have in order to not use a jig just rub is pretty cool yeah i did see that it's pretty neat yep but anything else on uh this whole arrow setup tuning changing thing that um you you thought's worthwhile bringing up things you learned from last year or anything along those lines with that that arrow setup um I think we covered it pretty good. Maybe I'll just go back, you know, to, to maybe somebody that might be listening and, and, you know, considering the heavy arrow thing or wondering, maybe you don't even know, like, what your setup weighs or where you should be at. And we talked about some extremes, you know, like I said, my, my setup's, what, 620-ish right around there. Which you kind of <clears throat> say is on the top end extreme. It is definitely on the top end. If somebody comes in here, and just to clarify, um, you know, once – wants me to, to build them the perfect arrow setup for whitetails. Now, I'm probably going to set them up around that uh, 475 to 525. Mm -hmm. I feel like that right around, you know, 500, 450 to 550, I think is like the perfect weight for whitetails. Yeah. Me, myself, I, I like a little heavier, but for the average guy that still likes to maybe go to 3D shoots and shoot out 70, 80, 90, 100 yards, yep. I'm... Yeah, you know, with 650 grains, you're going to start running out of room pretty quick if you're wanting to shoot out far. Um, so, yeah, it all kind of depends what you want to do, but I think that 500 a mark is about perfect. That's what I like to see. I'll have to see when we get done with this. I'll have to see 
I wanted to weigh my arrow that I have on because I changed. I think it's right around exactly what you said, like somewhere between 480 and 500 is what I was going to try to land on this year. Hopefully we don't have any issues uh, making some adjustments for for that because I'm, I've been shooting. I, I feel good shooting, but uh, I, I think there's a little bit of tuning issue I'd like to hopefully address and fix that up and feel a little bit more confident going into the year. Um, but the, uh, the, the picture that I was going to, going to use for this episode was of you with your buck last year, but there was a specific picture that I kind of chuckled at a little bit that I was going to use with, uh, with the deer across the, the, the roof of the station wagon. But that was a, that was a pretty nice bucky shot last year. Tell me about it. Yeah, I did. Um, let me think here. November 1st, I believe. Yeah. I'd shot a couple of doe in October and then November 1st, it was an afternoon. I don't know if you remember the first week in November was pretty warm mm-hmm. and I can't remember if it was the first or second day. It was kind of going right into a pretty couple of days of warm, uh, like a warm stretch that we were having. And I left the shop here at about two o'clock, I think. And it was mid seventies. Um, uh, it's pretty warm for November for sure. Um, and yeah, got set up kind of on the, on the, uh, downwind side of a bedding area <clears throat> or just kind of a thick patch. It's about probably four acres of pretty thick stuff and i was just like you know what what are the chances that a buck could have a doe pushed up in there it's kind of a uh thick patch that's the, kind of the end of there's really no nowhere else for him to go um so I was like well i'm gonna set up on the downwind side of that if nothing else maybe there's a power line that run that ran that just got mowed that ran right along the back side of it too like if nothing else maybe have a buck cruising that power line scent checking that thick patch because i know there was doe bedding in there and yeah i basically just got set up <clears throat> i think it was like 3 30 quarter of four and yeah i just happened to see him i think he was bedded in there the whole time and i don't know if he heard me setting up it would almost maybe seem like it or i don't i'm not sure why else he would have been getting up that early mm-hmm. um, unless he was just getting up to go check for does because mm-hmm. I mean, it was that time of year but he didn't have a doe with him or anything i just yeah um came out on the power line and made a scrape there and and I shot him at 20. Yeah. Um, you filmed that too, right? I did. Yeah. Yep. You can see that on our, on our shops, YouTube channel. If you want, that was pretty cool. That was kind of, um, like I said, I had a couple deer that I shot and didn't run anywhere. That one was one of them. So I shot him. He literally took one hop and he stood there and he just pumped blood out. It was, it was pretty cool to see. He had no idea what was, mm. what was going on and he ended up falling right there. Mm. Um, it was pretty cool. Like I, you know, I've I've had a lot of deer fall over within sight, but never just like that. Like he was totally unaware. Like he knew something hit him, but he was totally unaware of what happened. He those, basically those are the stood best there ones. and died right in front of me. Yeah, those so. are the best ones. And um, I've had that happen with the lighter setups with a with a fixed blade. Yep. I don't know if I ever had that happen with an expandable. Yeah, I, I definitely never did. I think you have. <laughs> yeah, going back to the whole broadhead thing, you have that expandable opening and that you know, impact that they feel and it spooks them a little more, I think. Yeah. Um, not saying you'll never have that, but that's what I've run into. Yeah. So well, yeah, hey, that was cool. This is, uh, this has been good. I appreciate you t- talking about this with us. I know you're busy guys. So I want to be mindful of your time. Uh, before we, uh, before we wrap this up, um, just real quick, talk about the shop, what you got going on and everything else you got going on from, uh, I know you do a little bit of film and put some stuff out too. So, um, uh, you know, 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, like we said, it's kind of rolling into our busy time. We're still having a lot, lot of guys coming in doing strings and that sort of thing. But you know, come into mid-September, you're basically out of time if you want your bow back and done before season. So if if that's something you're looking to do, definitely ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, tuning. I mean. That's something we have done more and more of every year, I believe. People, it's a little more just realizing that, um, you know, how important tuning is. Um, so yeah, we're still getting a lot of a lot of tuning stuff in, um, arrows, that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, kind of the big push in the next month will be, like, our mobile hunting stuff. And we just got our, our uh, hat line of habit clothing in as well. Um, yeah lures and stuff for more november time frame but um yeah it's pretty much just getting everybody fixed up from here away getting ready what bow did you decide to shoot this year uh a prime again okay yeah yep the rev x2 nice you like that so far i do yep yeah i, I don't know i've kind of learned to like the the prime feel um i probably just because this is what i do i'll probably try something else next year yeah yeah i shot the inline the prime inline last year the rev x now this year so i don't know what i'll land on yet but we'll see yeah they're all really good it just comes down to shooting what you like yeah for sure what feels best but man thanks for letting me uh let me uh, rain in your parade here and, and chat with you and good yep. luck this season it's been good same to you